0: Bye. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Evan Brand. I'm a certified functional medicine practitioner and a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. I run an online practice. I... I'm a course creator. I create functional medicine training courses to help health seekers and to help practitioners. My best selling one is Better Belly, where I'll teach you all about parasites, worms, bacterial overgrowth, candida, mold, and mycotoxin toxicity, pesticides, herbicides, chemical toxins. How do you run the proper labs? How do you interpret those labs? And then how do you make a protocol based on those labs? Check out the free one hour masterclass where I can teach you just some of the sneak peek about what i really do behind the scenes and that's free so check out the link in the show notes today's podcast with dr neil nathan you probably heard the other one we did together on his book toxic today he's got a new book we're chatting about it is called energetic diagnosis we'll dive into that here in just a minute but first about neil nathan you know he's been working with people for a long time i believe he says 50 years that he's been working with clients and patients at some level and he's continuing to refine his protocols and he's someone that i looked up to and i have learned from and i implement a lot of the things that i've learned from him in my work and my clinic and some of the people that have been to 5 10 20 doctors we're able to help those people now and i'm i've become the the end of the rope guy which there's a lot of pressure being that last ditch effort guy but i'm used to the pressure now and it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to be able to provide relief and hope for someone who's been to the best of the best. And, you know, I think with Dr. Nathan's help, I've been able to achieve that goal of helping some of the people that just thought they would never get better. So without further ado, let's dive into the podcast with Dr. Neil Nathan. If you need help clinically, you can still reach out. I do offer those 15 minute free calls. That is a limited availability. It's at my site, evanbrand.com. I can chat with you about your symptoms, your goals, see if we can help All right, enjoy the show. Dr. Nathan, thanks for joining me again.
1: Uh, Pleasure to be here.
0: So we talked about Toxic last time, which is a book I recommend to almost every client now. And I'll say, hurry up and buy this book. Get the version on Kindle so you can get it right away. Go straight to the section on mast cell or straight to the section on Bartonella. So I've been using it and it's been a very clinically valuable tool because you see a lot of weird descriptions about infections Online and your descriptions of Bartonella, Babesia, Lyme, Maso issues. They're great. They're concise They're great. They're accurate. So first just want to say thanks for that.
1: Oh My pleasure. That's always been my hope that whatever I write people will get benefit from
0: now Is it okay if I ask you a few like? Infection logistics questions before we get into this energy book
1: Sure, finally,
0: these are like follow-up questions to to the book so with Bartonella, you talk about how it's like such a deep-seated infection and it can take a long time to get rid of it. I've got Bartonella. I know it because when I started bumping up bar one and or when I was doing some of the Buner protocol herbs, the CSA, I noticed in the middle of the night, if I wake up like 3 a.m., I could just feel this slight trembling. And then after treating Bartonella, it went away. And so the mast cell has calmed down also by treating Bartonella which you describe in the book, treating mold, treating Mm -hmm. Bartonella, big triggers. But the question is, since it is a bacteria, do you ever get to the point where you're just fully done with it? Is the goal to just completely eradicate it? Is the goal to get it low enough to where the immune system can handle it? Like, how do you know when you're done treating Bartonella?
1: Um, Those are very good questions. And I think even experts would have trouble agreeing on the answer. Um, I mean, having talked to a whole lot of Lyme experts over the years, There are some people who believe that Bartonella cannot be eradicated. It can merely be managed. There are some people who believe that um, it can be cured. And there are some people who believe that it's a moot point as to whether or not it can be cured or getting the immune system strengthened to the point that the immune system has it under basically complete control. Um, From my perspective, Purely from the psychological way of working with patients, I like to think it can be cured. So if I have someone whose immune system has been um, healed to the point that they now have all of these infections under control so that the patient is on no antibiotics and has no symptoms, from my perspective, that's a cure. And I prefer people think of it that way as opposed to thinking that they have a time bomb in which something that weakens their immune system and bang they're off to the races again. So it's it's a choice on the part of a practitioner as to how you want your patient to view their life, either in fear or with the belief that yes, I can be healed and I can be strong and I can live a normal, healthy life. And that's my choice.
0: I agree. I call it almost like a scarcity mindset <clears throat> versus an abundance mindset. I try to have an abundance mindset about everything in life, health and wealth and freedom and uh, free, freedom from symptoms. And I find a lot of practitioners, they use fear as a motivator, but I don't think it's a good one.
1: I agree with you. I, I have seen and treated Way too many people who other practitioners have treated, and I can their fear is almost palpable of, of, Oh my god, I've gotta, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I've got to worry about this, and I've got to do that. And when those kinds of thoughts are occupying your consciousness, there's no room in there for joy, happiness, peace, serenity, and that's tragedy.
0: The real question is how much or how many of these mast cell issues that we're seeing are driven from an emotional standpoint? Because when I look at the infections alone, I've certainly felt that the infections can trigger it. But if I catch myself in this emotion, a negative emotion, fear, I will feel this histamine reaction from an emotion alone. Can you speak on that?
1: I can, and you're describing it. So many things can trigger mast cells. Um, stress, emotions, being one of them. So it behooves us to learn methods for how we can gain control of that so that it doesn't run us, but we can run it. Uh, for example, uh, many people who are, have done um, either the Annie Hopper DNRS training program or the Ashok Gupta amygdala retraining program where they are using very specific techniques to work on the limbic system have found that if they're in a situation in which their mast cells are being stimulated, you can literally stop that reaction by repeating the, I'll call them mantras, that kind of a form of a mantra that both Annie Hopper and Ashok Gupta use to quiet the limbic system and by repeatedly practicing those phrases if you will literally you can retrain your brain to respond to those phrases almost immediately so I've had people in situations where they're reacting and they're using the anti-hopper stop 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 process to literally prevent that reaction from occurring
0: yeah, and I and I've used it and it definitely works. I mean, if I'm let's say I'm at the grocery and some lady comes by with extreme perfume, my brain still wants to react to it. And I'm just, nope, not today. I'm not gonna let it happen. And I could literally shut it off. I mean, it was crazy. Since since you and I talked last, I went to a wedding. It was my cousin's wedding, there was probably a hundred smelly people there, <laughs> all, all with laundry, perfume, cologne. I mean, this was uh, a situation uh. it previously would have wrecked me. But I went in and I noticed that if I put enough positive energy and enough of almost like to the verge of aggression, this like, ah, this excited adrenaline, like if I fuel my system with energy and like, ah, it almost counteracts those responses. So I left that wedding after smelling perfume for hours and I was totally fine. And that night I came home and I thought, what the hell just happened? How did I do that?
1: Well, you, what you've been practicing and learning has given you tools that enable you to be in situations where you couldn't have been before, and that's the whole point.
0: It's crazy. It's very interesting. Well, let's get into the the topic of your new book, energetic diagnoses or diagnosis, and really reading through that. And you and I talked about this briefly before we hit record. The premise of this is trying to get people, whether it's as a patient or as a clinician, to tune in to something greater. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but my summary is being able to tune in to something greater to be able to achieve greater levels of healing, greater levels of investigation, finding things that maybe even the most sensitive scientific test misses. And so that was kind of my my summary of that book. Is
1: that accurate? It is. Um, I'd like to think there's even more in there. Um, so I originally wrote the book from the place that, um, having been in practicing medicine for 50 years, I've talked with, I can't count how many physicians, and many physicians, knowing my openness, would share with me that they were using their intuition to make diagnoses and help them with treatment, but if pressed by other physicians, would never have admitted that in public. It wasn't scientific enough, but the number of physicians that i talk to is astounding. So it seemed to me that we really needed a dialogue to begin to talk about intuition as something that all people who are interested in healing should know about, should encourage, and talk about even scientifically, because it's there, just kind of like an elephant in the room where people just aren't aren't talking about it. So that was the impetus for the book. And as I started writing about it, I began to write more about the perception of energy, the perception of how we can perceive energy. And and that led to the second section of my book, which was how other healers, and I have a fabulous collection of guest authors who are sharing on a personal level, how they use the perception of energy in the use of their medical devices, like frequency specific microcurrent, the use of ART or kinesiology, the use of osteopathic uh, manipulation as an energy perception process, Reiki, a variety of acupuncture. its a very large section in the book on that. To talk about how people are already using the perception of energy to improve their results. And I think that that will become a major component of healing in the future.
0: So when you sit down and you're listening to a case, do you get a gut feeling about something before you even get done with the call? I'm talking like five minutes. Do you ever just sit down with someone and you can <coughs> sense the infection before you even get into symptoms of anxiety and chemical sensitivity and all that? Do they just sit there and you go, oh, wait a second. This is this.
1: Well, I do, but I don't tell them that. Yeah. Meaning one of the things I've learned, <clears throat> one of my primary gifts and a lot of people have it, is what I call the gift of knowing, in which if I'm with someone, I know things about them without them having said a word that would have helped me to think that. Um, I don't know how I do it. I just know that I have over the years um, gotten trust That the information I'm getting, wherever that's coming from, is reliable and accurate and meaningful and helpful. And here comes the but. But if I tell someone something before they are prepared to hear it, it can make them more defensive and push them away. And when I was younger and I didn't really understand my gift, um, I pushed some of my friends away. By sharing with them things that they weren't ready to deal with. And they'd get mad at me and they would say, You have no right to talk about this uh, because I'm not ready to talk about it. And I realized, OK, it's a gift, but it has to be used respectfully. So I will wait for people to share with me some of the information I already know. Because um, if I do it prematurely, it doesn't help me. No, I can use the gift to kind of lead them a little bit. I can ask some open-ended questions of what about this, or how about that? And their response tells me how defended they are about that subject or how open they are to really talking about it. Because if they'll launch at that point, great, we can talk about it. But if they're clearly not wanting to talk about that, then I'm going, okay, then I have to build a therapeutic relationship with you first before you trust me enough, before we're really ready to go down that, that Avenue.
0: But that, that's amazing to hear (laughs) that from you because I've experienced the same thing and I didn't notice it until I started getting pushback. So I'll give like a specific case for people. I know it's mold. The person comes in, I'm like, okay, it's mold sometimes i can drop the bomb in the first five minutes of the consultation i'm just like this is a mold problem they go i know it i know it. it was the basement it flooded we had tree roots that busted open the foundation the basement was always wet they said they fixed it but we know they didn't fix it sometimes the call goes that way and then sometimes which as you've taught me um, whether you knew it or or didn't know it but I've, i've modeled this if i drop that mold bomb too quickly And I get the pushback, no, we've remediated, it's fine, it's not mold. And they start shutting me down. It's like, uh uh-oh, okay, I'm going to have to build the case for this. So then I usually, as you said, I'll try to ask other questions about, well, when's the last time the, the basement did flood? Or how's your husband's health? I like to bring the husband into it. Oh, yeah, he's dizzy too, and he's got chemical sensitivity too. How's the kids? Oh, they have major digestive problems. They have major skin issues. Oh, okay, so the whole family's affected. It's manifesting differently. That's interesting. Well, maybe we should run a mycotoxin screen on the children too. Oh yeah, I would love to, you know, I hate to see my kids suffer. So I've used that and I've tried to manipulate their mind in a way to make them more open. I find that when you bring the kids or the spouse into it, usually their defense goes down a little bit because it's less about their personal beliefs and it's more about the compassion for their family member kind of like overrides their,
1: their negative thoughts. Well, sometimes, and sometimes since the spouse may be sitting there, they're defensive and they don't always have the same openness to what's going on. The spouse may be thinking, oh, my God, I, I can't begin to afford a remediation. I don't even want to know how, what the damage is here. So I'm going to go into denial on this. So then you watch the dynamic between the spouses where one is open and, yes, let's get to the bottom of it, the other one. Um, and, and that's a very important dynamic in the whole process. But to get back to the point you started making, yes, if you work with enough people who have mold or lime or you name it, there's a, an energetic vibe that they give off that some people can feel and some can't. But over the years, I would say that I've refined my ability to perceive that to the point that, yeah, I pretty much know what a lot of people have. Um, literally, when they sit down, I can feel it.
0: Now, is this is this hindered by technology? I mean, because you do virtual consultations too, right?
1: Yes. Um, I'll put it this way. I can feel a lot more and at a more profound level, face to face. Absolutely. Um, but I think that observing people and listening to the tone of their voice and the sound of them and watching their movements as we talk virtually, I can get a a good, clear feel for it, pretty much like I did before. It's not as clear for me.
0: Yeah. I want to ask you more about that, but I want to wrap up the comment about the spouse, because I think this is a huge smoking gun that keeps people sick, is a negative spouse, someone that doesn't believe their illness, someone that, like you said, it has to go in denial due to fear of the money they have to spend on it. Now, what I've seen in the experience I've had with people, it's 90% men that are the angry denier skeptics. I want to know what you've seen.
1: I agree. I, I have seen that as well. And working with defensiveness is part of the art of what we do, meaning at some point, my patient's not going to get well if their spouse is fighting them tooth and nail and some do. So, one of the methods that I use to convince a spouse to take this seriously is to do mold plates to evaluate the home. Very simple, it's quite inexpensive, um, where you can order a mold plate and simply put it in the rooms that you're concerned with on the floor of the room is simply a petri dish with a medium that grows mold. You simply take the plate, take the top off, put it on the floor of the room, let it sit open to the air for two hours, put the plate back on and see what grows. And often what gets their attention after four or five days is seeing the growth on that plate, which is you can be in denial for as much as you want. But when you're looking at these plates, which you put out, No one else did it to you or for you. You put out the plate and you see these colonies of mold growing on the plate. It's like, whoa, who knew? So sometimes that will get their attention to the point of going, okay, maybe we do have a problem here and maybe we do need to deal with it.
0: Yeah, I love Petri dishes. I just did them the other day and fortunately nothing grew. I mean, they were like super clean. I might have had one colony in the master bedroom, but otherwise it was pristine. I was like, thank you, Lord, because sometimes yeah. you forget, like, is it my body causing the symptoms or is it, is it the environment? So I think that's yeah. that's huge and it's cheap. I mean, you can get a Petri dish for three bucks. If you don't want to send it in for analysis, you're looking at three bucks. You want to get analysis, 25 to 30 bucks a plate. That's a good cheap motivator.
1: Right. And, and I urge them to get it analyzed so that I'm knowing exactly what molds we're looking at here. Because those plates, 50% of what grows is uh, are non-toxic mold species and doesn't matter. But 50% of what grows is a toxic mold species. So if I can tell them, um, look at all of the aspergillus or penicillium or Alternaria or fusarium that's growing um, here, this is toxic mold. So it's there. now. We can now talk, hopefully, about what we can do about it, but we really have to do something about it because one of the few things that everybody in the mold field agrees on is you cannot get well if you're living in a moldy environment. It's simply not possible. And so that's a part of resistance that we have to find a way around.
0: Yeah okay, I want to get back to like studying people's movements and all of that. But first I want to ask a question about environment. Cause this is a common one that I get all the time and I got it after our first podcast together. Where the hell do I live? And, <laughs> and, and I tell them, well, I mean, I have some clients that have mold-free homes in Florida and then they're thriving. And I have other clients that have extremely moldy homes in the middle of the desert in Arizona. So I don't think there's a perfect place. But but in general, have you seen some of your patients that have gone on these mold sabbaticals or these kind of like mold-free housing journeys? Have you found that those particular places in the desert, the Arizona, the Utah, Nevada, that little circle of drier air in the U.S., have you found that to be a... A key component of healing for these people or is it bs
1: no and the answer is unfortunately sometimes i've had people take a tent and go live in the desert and that has helped some people and not helped others um
0: what do you think it is in those cases where it doesn't help others? Do you think that's just they brought the mycotoxin load with them? The mast cells are still activated. The Bartonella is still in there creating inflammation in the capillaries. I mean, when I think of somebody just, I'm going to leave everything behind and all my problems are going to be solved when I go to the desert with the tent. It's like, well, you're not leaving the problems behind. You you possibly brought your contaminated clothing. How did you get there? Did you drive in your contaminated car? Uh, do, are, do you and have colonization in the sinus cavity? Yeah,
1: e- exactly. So... For some of these people, they've colonized, and it's an unrealistic expectation that they can be well by just getting out of the mold. So they're carrying the mold in their body, in their GI tract, in their sinuses, and the mold that's there is making the toxin ongoing. So some of it is an unrealistic expectation. A big chunk of what you're talking about is limbic which is the effect of mold on the limbic system and the vagus nerve and its ability to trigger mast cell activation. For some people it creates a sensitivity that is so exquisite that I think folks like that can react to a few molecules of mold in their environment. They're super reactive and it's very real. It's not psychological. They can smell it or feel it or react to it in a way that other people in that environment don't. So other people think that's no, not possible. But I'm convinced that those people very have a very real reaction that's partly limbically mediated, meaning that limbic system is so fired up that it is scrutinizing hypervigilantly the environment, going, oh, there's a molecule of mold out there, and that might hurt me. So I'm going to shut you down and react to you." So for people who are that reactive, limbic retraining, working on the vagal system and working on mast cells is absolutely critical because until they become less reactive, they got nowhere to go. So they usually can't tolerate even minuscule doses of the binders, certainly can't tolerate antifungals. So those people need to be in while they're getting their limbic system and vagal systems rebooted, they need to be as completely free of mold as possible, like living in a tent in the desert or something of that nature. Those people will respond to that. Other people who aren't addressing bringing their moldy things with them or uh, undertaking the long, arduous, but fruitful journey of treating mold They're just going to get frustrated because, well, I I lived in the desert for two months and I didn't get well, so um, I'm just throwing in a towel here, and throwing in a towel is not going to help.
0: Yeah, I had a pilot who was a client a few months ago. He was living in a moldy RV in North Carolina. And he came to me. He was colonized. We saw it on the oat test. He had fusarium colonization. He had aspergillus colonization. Got him on a protocol. Six weeks in, he sends me an email. I didn't get the results I was expecting. I'm done with care. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well, a couple yeah. things wrong. I failed because I guess I didn't set expect expectations, uh, realistically, of a timeline. Usually, I'm pretty good about this. I know you've said before, three to five years could be a typical timeline for these mold cases. So maybe I forgot to mention that. Maybe he ignored it. But then also, I thought, man, h- how do you proceed in a society where the conventional m- medicine, medical doctor treatment is like here's antibiotics for a week and your problems go away it's it's very hard when those people grew up in such a conventional system they're so brainwashed about this quick fix now you have some that are more naturally minded they understand things take time but sometimes you get these people where six weeks on a mold protocol they expect to be out of the woods and uh, how do you handle those those
1: people well first of all most of the people who get to me have been sick for a really long time and one phrase that I try, I believe I do, use at every visit, at multiple times during the visit, and especially at the end, is it's going to take you a year or more to get over this, and you didn't hear the words or more. And people, there's a little humor to that, which is kind of how I like to work. But They'll go, oh, what do you mean I didn't hear? I said... Now you did. So it's again setting expectations. And most of the patients who I see have been sick for so long that when I tell them it's going to take a year or more to, to feel better, maybe not even get well, they'll say, Great, I've been sick for so long that if it if you can help me in a year, I'm gonna be a happy camper. But you're correct. Every once in a while you'll get someone in there who hasn't been sick that long. And All you can do is your best to convey reasonable expectations of what to expect in healing. And if someone has unrealistic expectations and is attached to that, nothing I can do about that. You know, at all points, we always have to do our best. And maybe our best isn't enough for a particular individual. Still our best. Can't do cannot do better than that and it's important as healers that we don't beat ourselves up for something that's not completely in our power or control i can't control what anyone does with the information i give them i can't count the number of people who um aren't patients but i'll meet them under other circumstances they have no idea who i am or what i do or what my expertise is and i'll go oh Um, I I think you have this. I think you should look at that. And I know they're blowing me off because I can watch them starting to roll their eyes while I'm talking. And I'm I'm trying to help you and I can't help it if you're not open to that or not perceiving what you're being given at this particular moment. You know, in in energetic diagnosis, I have a story that I really like. It's a... It's about these energies, but it's also about this subject where I was at a medical meeting in Los Angeles and I went to the airport, tried to grab a little lunch before my plane. And I was standing waiting for a table um, next to another fellow. And the woman says, I only have one table. You guys are gonna have to share it. And we looked at each other and went, well, okay, I suppose, but and so we sit down Now, I'm a very private person generally. When I go into an airport or sit down in an airline seat, I'm not one of those people who share my life story with the person sitting next to me. In order to be left alone for a few minutes, I bury myself in a book. I make it very clear to the people around me. I just want my little energetic space to hang out.
0: Now, why is that? I read that, and and I thought, why is that? You know, this guy who knows so much and and helps so many people, is it— is it just that it's it, too draining it, it's, for
1: you or what is it? It's because I get so little time to myself that for me a day of travel is a day of reading. Okay. I can just immerse myself in my stuff. And <clears throat> and I you know, I help people all day long. I don't need to impose myself on whoever I'm traveling with. I don't normally do that. I don't normally do that. It's just my way. Everyone has their own way. We sat down at this table and this person starts, this is with COVID was just beginning to apply. Airports were still open. We were flying. No one was wearing a mask. It was the very beginning of COVID. And this fellow took out some hand lotion and wipes and was going over his hands and doing this. And I said, well, you know, that's not going to do anything, don't you? And he looks at me and goes, how would you know? I said, well, I'm a doctor and I study these things. He said, oh, but you don't think that hand, that, that makes much difference? I said, no, um, studies have been done on, on this do you think that a little alcohol in your hand, Mike, is going to get rid of viruses from your hands to any extensive degree? He said, well, people say it is. I said, do you know if that's true? He said, no. <clears throat> I said, well, not everything that you read is true. People say stuff. And that led to him blurting out at one point. He said, I just have felt so bad, I just can't afford to get sick. And so for whatever reason, I reached out to him energetically, intuitively, it was, I think I need to hear this guy's story. And so I said, okay, well, what's going on for you? He said, well, you probably can't help me. Nobody can help me because I've been sick for a year and a half. I have this company where I have a whole staff of people depend on me. I can't think straight, I'm anxious, I'm fatigued. I can barely get through my day. And at this point, I already know he has mold, by the way, but um, I'm just letting him tell his story. He doesn't know me. He's not in my office. He has no reason to know what I know, but I already know what he has. And he's going over this long story about, and finally, he said, they told me I have mycoplasma, but you probably don't know what that is. I said, I treated a lot of people with mycoplasma in my day, and I know exactly what that is. I said, but... I'm not sure that mycoplasma would explain your symptoms. And then I eventually <clears throat> got his trust in a reasonably short period of time. And I said, I think I know what you have. Everything you're talking about is mold toxicity. He said, oh, my God. He said, I have been exposed to mold. And mold will do this? And that led to a, and I I can't describe the profound nature of it here are two strangers who are thrown together at a table in a restaurant in an airport. And we don't know each other from from anything, but there was an energetic need that I responded to from him, told him what he needed to do. He was actually on his way to Toronto where I have a wonderful uh, colleague who I've trained, who is great at treating mold. And I said, I'm going to write down a name for you. Call her as soon as you get into Toronto. She'll help you. She'll get the right testing for you. And um, and he he then shared with me. He said, "You know, I'm so sick. I woke up this morning and I prayed to God that somebody could help me, that somebody would have an answer for me today." He said, "And, and, and here you are." And it was the kind of thing where your hairs go up in the back of your neck because I could feel his need. I could feel the rightness of our connection. I felt a deep appreciation for what was he, he was as a human being. And I don't know him at all. That transcended the conversation that we had. And he felt it too. So we get up from the table and we're hugging each other, right? So this is not what happens to me in airport restaurants. I don't know what other people experience in airport restaurants. And he he went off to Toronto, saw my friend, got well. He's communicated with me since then, just appreciating the depth of our connection and part of the story is to talk about energetic connections that inexplicably two human beings who are from different parts of the world, meet, and something happens. And that's kind of close to magic.
0: It really is. I mean, that's a great story. I loved reading that story in the book. And there's a famous book on this. I believe it's called Ask and You Shall Receive. But it's almost a book about, uh, I don't remember who it was. It was some celebrity years ago who said what book changed your life and it was as if you ask you shall receive and the whole idea was putting this energy out and then someone like you is an antenna and you're going to pick up on it you're going to register the signal of need and then boom the universe works god works whatever people believe and it brings you together i've had crazy experiences like that too and i used to just kind of be struck by them like this is odd but now it's like there are no coincidences anymore everything feels like it's it's meant to be so that's interesting so it's almost as if we're putting out this energy that i can help and then all of a sudden magnets come to us it's almost like you're magnetized
1: we are basically electrical in nature and i don't know that we appreciate that but i mean that's how our heart works that's how our brain works on the basis of electrical impulses so we are electromagnetic beings as our very essence. It's part of who we are, whether we perceive it or not, or look at it this way. Hence, we really ought to be concerned about EMFs. I'm going to digress for a minute, please, because because increasingly, especially in my sensitive patients, EMF sensitivity is becoming more and more and more prominent. It's another component of that limbic system that is getting hypervigilant, about perceiving threats in the environment. And that limbic system is capable of perceiving at a deeper level than our, our conscious mind is. So that our, our limbic system can perceive electromagnetic effects as threats when we might not personally know that's there while we're holding a cell phone to our ear or we're working on our lap with a, uh, a, la- a either a laptop or a Kindle device or an ebook or something of that nature sit right there. Uh, now in a world where many people aren't aware of it, but for the last 30, 35 years, for males, sperm counts have gone down, viable sperm counts have gone down, testosterone levels have gone down, and we're putting an EMF device right down in our pelvic area. What are we doing? And, and yet we do it unconsciously. It's like everybody does that. Sit around in an airport or in an airplane. And we've all got these devices sitting down right in our lap for hours at a time. So I think that EMF sensitivity and reactivity has become far more profound than people realize. And for anyone who is ill or sick, they really ought to take a look at the EMF exposure in their environment by buying a simple EMF meter, which costs $200. And then you can literally measure every single device in your home in its relationship to you. So I'm sitting in a computer right now, and I've intentionally Have the actual, I've got a keyboard in front of me which puts out no EMF, and then I've got a screen pushed back. So you're a foot away looking at you, Evan. You're a foot away from me. So I'm at least a foot away, which is what you need to not have the EMF exposure. My router is over there. So I'm not getting exposure from my router. See, my question is.
0: Why do you even have a router still? Why are you not fully mm-hmm. hardwired? I mean, that's my setup right now. I've got an Ethernet I, right here in the wall. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to you through a hardwired uh, uh, and, a microphone. And,
1: and I probably should be, except I've measured what I'm getting here and is virtually nothing.
0: Okay, good deal. So,
1: so um, you're correct, but I think there are multiple ways of protecting yourself so that obviously even saying that to me, you're totally Aware of this information and how important it is.
0: Well, I've reacted that- to it. I had a phone I was noticing when I first <laughs> realized this is I had a phone and I was watching a YouTube video on my phone and my hand started to hurt And mm. I thought okay, is that just like lime or something like my hands a little achy and I thought okay Let me put the phone on airplane mode. Let me hook up a USB to Ethernet adapter to the phone And let me watch that same video again. And guess what? No hand pain. And I thought, okay, my God, I've got EMF sensitivity. And then I had a woman in London who came to me and she said, I can't go into the city anymore because of Wi-Fi and it's messing up my marriage because my husband and I can't be together. So now he's going away without me. Can you help? And then we found mold and treated her and then she could go back into the city again. And then I go, oh my God. So now I I do all these online consultations and like four out of 10 people, they have their AirPods in. Or they have an Apple Watch on their wrist. Would you believe? I've measured this. I've been looking face-to-face at a cell phone tower, maybe two to 300 yards away, and it put off, according to a RF meter out of Canada, Safe Living Technologies, they've got one called Safe and Sound Pro. I measured around 9,000 microwatts per square meter, but that sounds crazy until you measure an Apple Watch. And an Apple Watch is 2 million microwatts per square meter, and it's on your frickin' wrist all day. Every two to three seconds, you're getting a pulse of 2 to 3 million microwatts per square meter because it's got to check in. So here's my I see.
1: I I see we're both wearing watches, but they're not. not This is a dumb watch. Yeah. And this is an old fashioned, you know, battery powered. Uh, the re- which, reason I have which, uh, this one, th-
0: this one is kind of cool. This one is a, it's a Casio. It's, it's called a Pro Trek. The reason I like it is because right up at the very top there, there's a little graph for the barometric pressure because I've been tracking that my symptoms and other client symptoms change when the barometric pressure drops. And what I think is happening, I, I want to get your, your thought on this too, is that I think when the pressure is dropping, maybe that's changing something with the cells to where it's maybe pushing out more mycotoxins. Like how do these moldy people, fibromyalgia people, how do they know when a storm is coming, they feel worse? So what is that pressure doing to the body? I think it might be mobilizing more toxins, but I don't know if you've thought about this.
1: Um, I haven't. I thought about the pressure though for years. Um, um, I, I used to propose when I lived in Springfield, Missouri, I proposed to the radio station that we have um, in addition to the normal weather forecast that I have a bunch of my patients tell what the weather is going to be based on their perception because I've watched accurate perceptions of weather in terms of some people can feel a front moving in some people can feel when it's going to rain some people can feel when it's going to snow so again this is a Subtype of the of the perceptions that I'm talking about, like in my book, of it's a it's a a perceptual gift. If you take it as a gift, so if you take the information and you use it properly, it can help you. You know, we're going to have a tornado here. I'm going to go to the basement, which is in Missouri. That's extremely relevant because we used to get them all the time. Um, so I, I I view it as simply another refinement of perception. And some people are wired to do that, some people less wired. What I will say in terms of mold is that the more mold exposure you have, the more the limbic system becomes hyperreactive, depending on what it is you are biochemically, energetically predisposed to. So for some people, limbically, it'll affect EMF exposure or perception of light or sound or chemicals or food or touch or smell Um, anything that we can sense is filtered through the limbic system and when the limbic system goes haywire it just depends how you're wired so someone with mold toxicity may have all of the above or one or two in any combination possible so i i it's forgive me but there's almost always a limbic piece to it. And as you've alluded to, and I want to state as clearly as I can, the vast majority of people who have sensitivities, mold triggers it, but not always. Increasingly, I'm seeing EMF by itself may be triggering it. Triggering the mast
0: cells, you're saying? Yes. Okay.
1: And and there's increasing evidence that that's happening. Um, You know, there's a... um, A biochemist named Martin Paul. Oh, Martin's amazing. Who's written a bunch of articles. I've worked with Martin for a long time. He wrote a bunch of articles on the actual biochemistry of EMF sensitivity, calcium gated channels, and how that happens. So we're not talking about something imaginary or made up. We're talking about a real physiological process that we are beginning to get a handle on. But we still, the issue is. Can we stop what's triggering it?
0: Yeah, I use some of his protocol. You know, there's like the uh, clonia cava extract. There's some of like the, the, there's like broccoli sprouts and fatty acids and specific multivitamins, a specific type of methylfolate. I did some of that protocol that he recommended for chemical sensitivity, and it certainly helped a lot. So I think they're like the, the biochemistry piece is ignored. But the, to wrap up the, the thought on the EMF, it blows my mind how many people I see, these women, pregnant women with an Apple watch on and then they're in, you know, the park and they're walking. They got the stroller with the baby. They've got their AirPods on streaming a million microwatts directly into their brain. I mean,
1: people are being told by the people who sell it, the Fox guarding the hen house, that what they have is safe. And, what is the atnt thing on 5g it's secure fast and safe really so um maybe we could shift gears let's do it because there's a couple of things in the book that I'd like to bring out on this podcast if I can please um there, there are, there's a whole lot in the book that people might want to look at and i appreciate feedback on it But one of them is I talk about the existence of what I call energy cords, or some people call them energy strands, which are energetic connections that we have to almost anything. We can have it especially strong to our loved ones, to our relatives, to our family, friends, acquaintances, enemies, um, any human being you can have energy cords to. You can also have it to objects things that you treasure, things that have sentimental value to you. So you can have an energy cord to almost anything. And the energy cords tend to come into our body, into the chakra areas. We have like seven chakras in the body. Many of your listeners are familiar with that, where the crown chakra, the root chakra, and especially the heart chakra, the solar plexus are major areas which we literally connect with people. So in our relationships, we develop these cords. Some cords are nourishing and helpful. For example, I I have a probably a, a hose that goes from me to my wife, um, who I absolutely adore. And we've been in love for 30 years. And we both have this cord, which we nourish, we take care of it connects us on as deep a level as can and it's beautiful. So some energy cords are great, but the energy cords that I wanna make people aware of are energy cords to people that can harm us. So for example, most people have heard of what we call energy vampires, who are people who literally an acquaintance who you meet on the street and you're feeling perfectly fine and you walk away drained five minutes. What happened? Literally, there are people who literally have an ability to notice your vulnerability, especially people who are empaths. They're very vulnerable. They will literally take the energy cord and suck your energy dry in that moment. So this is a message to people who are having that experience that it's really important to realize this is a very real phenomenon and that you can do something about it by becoming more aware of those chords. Another important chord that I want listeners to be aware of is between you and people who have hurt you or harmed you in the past. And the importance of this is to understand what forgiveness is, which is all of us, if you've lived on this planet at all, have had some people in your life that have done you harm. They've uh, uh, hurt you in many ways. We don't even have to account the ways. But for most of us, there is a residual cord of us to that person, which could be in the category of resentment, hate, anger, bitterness, whatever. But uh, that person may no longer care. But we are still putting energy out to that person through that cord. And as long as that cord exists, you are draining yourself by not being aware of it. And so the key, and many religious people of all faiths talk about forgiveness in the from the perspective of, yes, someone may have harmed you. And yes, that harm may be very deep. But it is critical that you forgive them, not to forget, but to not drain your own energy for the rest of your life about an event that happened that is long gone, that holding on to it hurts you. And the the act of forgiveness is to help you heal. It's not that you have to forget that this happened or have any more interactions with that person ever, but that you heal yourself by recognizing that cord and letting the cord out, letting it go. And I talk about many ways of doing that in the book. So I wanted to bring up the concept of energy cords into account because so many of our difficult interactions with the people that we love and don't love are based around not being aware of where our energy is going and how it's going. So. I,
0: That's great, yeah. And I think unless you get really sick, you don't realize this. Now, I was an empath and knew I was an empath long before I dealt with my own mold and Bartonella and Lyme struggles. But it became my energy reserves were so low that I really had to do a good inventory on those cords. And I didn't think of it as a cord. I I think it's an interesting way that you put it. Uh, I, I visualized it as like this energetic ball and chain. That I was dragging behind me and I had to do these specific like and I didn't get taught this I just Somehow during a meditation probably a gupta meditation I just had this visualization of all those people in the in the ball and chain I thought my god, this is physically weighing me down. I'm physically heavy in my limbs from this energy This is unbelievable and I cut it and it was incredibly relieving and it really is hard for the ego to do this. And so I want people to know that your ego is going to fight you tooth and nail and say, I don't want to let go. I don't want to forgive. And it it's hard, but I had to because I was so miserable and... I did a YouTube video years ago. You know, I was always teaching like H. pylora and parasites and candida and all these videos. But this energy vampire question kept coming up in my head of like, how big of a smoking gun is this? That's one of the most downloaded videos I've ever published. And I've gotten more comments on that video <laughs> more than any other video. Like I could do an awesome video on this herb for this infection and it gets less comments than the energy vampire video. And I think what that goes to show is people know this, people feel it when you call it out, I guarantee people they're gonna listen to this, they're gonna go, oh my God, wow, the energy vampire piece is huge. And they don't realize, I think it could be 50% or more of the battle in recovering
1: from a chronic illness. Oh, very much so. I have a whole chapter on energy vampires because I think it's such an important subject and a very controversial one, if you will. It's one that people don't really wanna look at, especially, and this is the hard part, where a number of people have energy vampires in their family. And I wanna distinguish um, energy vampires from people that I call toxic. They're not exactly the same, but they there can be a similar effect. Some energy vampires, just want to drain your energy and walk off. And there's no residual feeling or emotion that goes with it. But there are people that you will be interacting with who will also drain you, but they also mean you harm for their own personal reasons. They're they're personally, if you will, broken, uh, injured, their own Life stories are such that other people have hurt them and they're constantly lashing out at the rest of the world and doing it by uh, connecting to your energy cords. Now, again, some of the most difficult patients that I've had to work with are people who have had people like that in your family. And, you know, when you're with someone toxic, because when you leave their presence, you're going to talk about it for days afterwards you just have to talk about it it's a form of discharge it's a form of release it's a form of getting rid of the toxin from your body by i can't believe they said that or i can't believe they did that or i can't believe they treated him that way or and think of for all you listeners out there think of times you might have with your family at a thanksgiving dinner or easter or christmas or whatever the occasion might be where you wind up drained and emotionally bent out of shape each time that happens. And eventually you begin to get the idea that it's someone that you are reacting to in that situation. It doesn't have to be family. It could be um, you're at a, um, a picnic with a group of friends and there's a particular person that every time you interact with them, you leave them feeling bad, awful, tainted, dirty. Well, some of their toxicity has rubbed off on you. And it's super important that people recognize that. And to whatever extent you can, eliminate that toxicity from your environment in the same way that if you're exposed to mold, you have to eliminate it from your environment. And here's where the issue comes. They might be a sister-in-law or a brother-in-law or a cousin or a a deeper relative than that could be a mother or a father or whatever how close they are the closer they are to you the harder it is to accept that this person is toxic to you you may even recognize it consciously but it's like well i i can't not go back for christmas our family get together and what that means is that you are literally exposing yourself to toxin knowing you're going to get hurt by it. And part of my message, and this is where it becomes controversial, is it is okay to recognize that and protect yourself by not putting yourself in that situation or limiting it. And that's, to me, a super important message that I want to communicate to people because I think uh, this... Hurts so many patients because they have that dynamic going and they don't know what to do about it It's like they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. I can't not see my family But if I put myself in that situation I'm gonna it's gonna take me a month to get over it. That's very real
0: It's super real. I've had to do it personally and it's very difficult and you get the grief and you get the comments I've literally had text messages from family members saying are you still alive And it's a mind game to want to lure me back in. And it's been very difficult. But I realized that it was, it was once again one of those life lessons where I went for 30 years of my life putting up with that. And. Feeding into that and like you said willingly exposing yourself to a toxin. That's a beautifully simple way to explain it You're literally exposing yourself to a toxin willingly and you're going for it because you feel like you have to and I think people need to take the reins back now The tricky part is we're going to be in for an extremely isolated future at this rate because the problem is like you and I were talking about before we hit record Florida's bombing their beaches with pesticides all the neighborhoods to protect from mosquitoes and water damage buildings are everywhere and so more people are getting moldy and you've got 5g on every block in the city so more people are developing mass activation so the problem is because of all these factors that are building up the nutrient depletion in the soil right? Even organic food is depleted. I mean, I'm going to do a podcast right after you and I are done talking about the depletion of the nutrients since 1920, when we had first nutrients on like broccoli and oranges compared to the orange of today, we've lost like 80% of our nutritional value. So what I'm getting at is everyone is going to be so damn sick. They already are. But in five, 10 years, those people, the energy vampires are going to be the majority of the population because of all the illnesses that have stacked up. And so it's almost like the only people that are going to be left are the people that want to take care of themselves, the people that recognize they may be an energy vampire. I'm sure I've been an energy vampire at some points in my illness because I was grasping for straws. I just wanted somebody to listen and somebody to help me. So I think we're in for a rocky road here, but I hope that what this will do instead is, as you're saying, avoid these toxins. Hopefully then that time that you freed up will then empower you to find people that lift you up and energize you. Like I've enjoyed this conversation with you tremendously. I feel motivated, I feel excited to to take on the world now. <laughs> and some interviews I've done with people, I'm drained. I'm like, my God, am I even gonna publish this interview? So uh, I, I certainly have my spidey senses tuned into this. And, and I, I don't know if you have other advice on that. I know you do in the book, but but in the moment, my best advice from this is to just redirect course and direct your course towards those people that do build you up, that do lift you up, that do energize you.
1: Right. Uh, For my wife and I, we are increasingly limiting our contact with other human beings to those that are positive, those that are optimistic. And one thing, and I think you're alluding to it, is COVID has changed my relationships with a lot of people. I can't be around people who are fear based, people who are absolutely paranoid about anything in which COVID comes into the situation, even the conversation, people who, uh, when you don't need to wear a mask are still wearing masks, people who are, it's, their fear is palpable. And it is our choice to not surround ourselves with people like that and many of these people are lovely wonderful people but increasingly to protect ourselves no go and i think for many people this is a huge part of it like so who are you surrounding yourself with who are your friends Do you talk about COVID constantly, where it is and that, or you're constantly talking about when you're gonna get your booster and this, and how am I gonna stop this? Or are you in a, I gotta live my life. I need to be creative. I can't waste my energies on thinking fearful things about something that has not happened to me yet. And I mean, I, I had COVID a couple of weeks ago and it was, I take the supplements that I know I can take and, um, I was minor. My wife's was even more minor. So I have refused to live in fear of COVID particularly, but honestly in fear of anything because fear limits your creativity.
0: Now, is this a new, is this a new thing for you or have you, or have you been this way for a long time? Or is this something as you got older, I, I, you're like, I, I, I can't I, be afraid anymore.
1: Uh, I've been this way for a long time, but as my sensitivity has increased, I'm increasingly, as you are, more tuned into whose energy do I want to be around and not. Not from a judgment place, but from a nurturing myself place. And my wife and I are in the same attunement in that particular way, which is purely, uh, you know, I'm getting old, doesn't matter how old I am, but however long I have left on this planet, I wanna live it with joy and serenity and creativity. I wanna be of service to people. I wanna be mindful. I wanna be in tune with the natural world. That's my choice. Um, And in that context, there are two major things that you just brought up that I wanna emphasize. Um, One is, we, we need to be more aware of the imminent dangers of all of the toxicities that we have been talking about. The depletion of the soil, EMF, heavy metal and environmental toxins and mold and infectious agents. We need to be aware of that and do something about it now. Um, I'm old, but I have beloved children and grandchildren, and I want them to inhabit a world that is inhabitable. And so we're running out of time to make a difference. To We don't have time anymore to talk about, um, we need to study this for 20 more years and figure out how bad it is. No, we need to do something about it today. And that's one thing. And the second thing that I think all of us need to be doing is what I'm talking about, which is to look inside and go, what gives me joy? What gives me peace? And how can I augment that in my life? How can I take optimum care of myself, body, mind, spirit, emotional, the whole thing, because that's who we are as beings on this world. And I think that's where people should be putting their energies.
0: Amen. Well, I'm glad you got over COVID easily. That's amazing. The interesting thing is I'm seeing uh, the mild to moderate cases I'm reading. That's what's creating more long haul stuff. But hopefully, maybe you did a little bit of the banned word that's still banned in YouTube's community guidelines. The word that ends in Mectin. Did you do a little bit of that or no?
1: I didn't. I have some. Um, I didn't need to take it. Okay. Um, And again... Talking about the underlying spiritual, emotional, energetic behind it is I think that the fear of getting long-haul COVID contributes to getting it. I believe that. So so again, working internally on oneself to not come to this from a place of fear, but to come to it through a place of, okay, it's a virus. I have a virus. I've had viruses before. And I happen to know, because of my study, all of the supplements that I know how to take, which can mitigate that virus to a certain extent. And so it did.
0: We can Um, do a part three on that one day. That ought to be fun.
1: (laughs) I don't know about fun. I hate talking about COVID, but it keeps coming up. Because I only want to talk about it in terms of people understanding what it's doing to them.
0: Well, the psychological warfare is part of the whole bioweapon. I mean, the the synthetic spike protein, that's a bioweapon. The psychological fear mongering, that's a bioweapon. I mean, when you look at Klaus Schwab, this globalist agenda, I don't know how deep you've gone into the rabbit hole. We don't have time for it today, but man, it goes deep. Fear is part of the plan.
1: It is. And that's the piece that I keep trying to educate people about, which is you have a choice. You can live in fear or you can not live in fear. And many people don't realize they have a choice. They're being so brainwashed by the media to think, "Oh no, this is scary, which is um, compared to what? You know I you know, the flu that lasted a year and a half of you know 1918, the Spanish influenza, it took out a whole lot more people than this one has. So we've totally blown out of proportion. What is, has been happening, what has happened, all, as you are pointing out, in the nature of fear-mongering. And that's what I want people to realize. You don't have to buy into it. You, you, don't, you can look at the statistics yourself and put it into context and go, okay, we had a flu. Why we allowed the world to shut down and our economy to tank because we had a flu, has always been beyond me. Never got it in the beginning, still don't get it. But we can wake up to that. We don't have to live that way. My message is always optimism and personal empowerment, which is you don't have to think that way. It, it's it, It's not intrinsic to what we're experiencing that we have something horrible and fearful going on
0: totally agree fear is a method of control so i mean the rabbit hole goes deep i'll tell you it's it's crazy the 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 end game of this but we'll save that for another day so i want people to check out your book it's energetic diagnosis groundbreaking thesis on diagnosing disease and chronic illness if you guys are listening you can go get this via kindle you can get a paperback i love the kindle version because i could just type in a word like Fear. Let's go straight to fear. Like that's cool. So I love the search feature. Uh, you know, put my phone on airplane mode. Of course, I'm not getting any radi- radiation from it. But I'll go there and I'll type in a word, and I can go straight to that in the book. So I encourage people to go check out the book. This is 381 pages. Victory Belt. They've done a great job with other books from some of my other friends over the years. So Victory Belt is a great publisher. Highly recommend it. And yeah, they
1: we'll put they we'll are, put the link they, in the they've, notes. They've done great by me. Um, In fact, we're working on a new book now, which I'm really excited about, uh, which I'm tentatively calling um, Why Am I So Sensitive and What to Do About It? And I have a phenomenal lineup of authors that are joining me in this. So I've got Annie Hopper and Asha Gupta writing about the limbic system. I've got Stephen Porges writing about um, the, the polyvagal theory, and I've got Um, writing about the dental, the traumatic piece of it. Um, I've got Martin Paul writing on the biochemistry of EMF and um, uh, Rena and Magda writing about EMFs from the medical perspective. And um, I got Beth O'Hara writing about mast cell activation and Emily Givler writing about oxalates and Ty Vincent writing about LDI and on and on and on. Nice. It's, it's It's a who's who For those of you who know the field of people in the field, and I'm looking at it being a comprehensive um, overview for patients and medical professionals to understand what is causing sensitivity and what to do about it. And um, we're already launched into it, and I'm really excited about it.
0: Nice, nice. And people don't understand writing books is hard. I've written three books. It's way harder than it sounds. It's like the (laughs) the, I've I've had friends tell me the unhealthiest thing you can do is write a health book.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I, sorry, I come at it differently. I love writing. It's a creative outlet for me. I I I love it and I love interacting with all these fabulous people taking our information and melding it into something readable that I think will be of great value. Um, To be honest, I really loved every book I've written.
0: That's great. Well, and I see why you come at it differently too, because... In, in, in that sense, it's more collaborative, it's more of a project, and you're not just sitting there having to come up with a million PubMed studies. The way you write your books is very conversational, and it flows very well. So I think it probably was the the guidelines, like on my previous book from the publisher, that I was, I had to kind of stick with, like, you got to have the citations and everything.
1: I've avoided publishers and editors like that, because I want what I write to be readable. Exactly. I, I know if I read a book, I don't want my eyes to be bogged down by one citation after another and constantly going back to a reference. Put that at the end of the book. That's okay. Agreed. But, but I just want it to flow. I want people to look at ideas and and let those ideas percolate and not get distracted by that. And and so I, I Victory Belt has been great to me. Um, uh, every All along the line, fabulous editor, fabulous publisher, and and they've allowed me to write my way.
0: That's great. I I think that's why writing books for me sucked, because I had to write it in such that way. But if I wrote it like a conversation, I think it would have been more fun. So maybe I'll write another one one day. Okay. I appreciate the encouragement.
1: But have have fun with it. That's the point. Have fun with it.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Well, it's been great chatting with you again. You take good care of yourself. And uh, tell your wife, hello, and thank you for being the, the hose. You know, I love my wife too. My hose to my wife is it's, it's a fire hose. So it's almost (laughs) like tele, it's almost like telekinesis at this point. So it's very amazing. Right. Ditto. Thanks
1: for for having me. Always fun talking to you, Evan. All right. Take care. Okay. Take care.
0: All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Once again, check out the link in the show notes. You can check out the new book. The link's right there. Get a copy of it. You could do paperback. You could do Kindle. Highly recommend it. And then if you need further help, you can schedule one-on-one consults with our team. Or if you're like, you know what? I'm healthy enough. I want to take this into my own hands. Fine. Check out the Better Belly or the Better Energy Masterclass. The links are in the show notes. That is a free... It's actually a little bit over an hour, but it's a game changer. I mean, even just what you learn in that first hour is going to be totally worth it. And the cost is 0 so check it out. And then if you decide you want to enroll, you can also do that. We'd love to have you. Take good care of yourself. Talk with you next week.
1: And we'll cash it in. Ooh, you give me some feeling.
0: Yeah, ooh, you give me some feeling. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Put these games on the side and watch the
1: sunset tonight. Talk about the things that you like, girl. Talk about the things